Church, so great to worship with you. You can go ahead and have a seat. My name is Lane. I am the young adults pastor as well as the youth director here at Before Church. And as some of you know, we sent a small team of graduated seniors and young adult college students to Alaska to work with some of our missionaries there as they work with some of the First Nation peoples uh, on Prince of Wales Island. It was an incredibly meaningful time, and we wanted to say thank you for all of your financial support, for all of your prayers. We really appreciate it. We wanted to take a moment this morning to celebrate with you and show you a quick video of kind of what it was like. Yes, that was just as much fun as it looked. Um, Yeah, we are really, really proud uh, of our students for for stepping into life, really starting their adult chapters like that. Um, I think any of you who have been in in a ministry of service knows that that is a great time to feel connected with God and to feel connected with others. So we're really, really thankful for the time that we got. Well, hello, good morning. We are in the final week of a series we've been in called Hearing God in the wilderness. And so I'm really excited to be able to to contribute. Um, We are going to be wrestling with a very simple yet not so easy question today. And that is, how do we hear the voice of God? Like, Like, what does that mean when we say that we can hear the voice of God? How many of you in this room have ever been frustrated, uh, feeling like you can't hear the voice of God or wanting to determine his will? How many of you ever feel frustrated? Oh, we have a room full of liars on a Sunday. Amazing. Yeah, of course. If you didn't raise your hand, I don't don't believe you. (laughs) Uh, It can be really frustrating sometimes to try to figure out, how do I hear God's voice? How do I determine his will? You know, we're wrapping up the series today, and we've been talking about how the wilderness, right, these times of trial, these times of struggle, can be really good for us to lean into God, to lean into his presence and to, and to hear what he's saying. And, and this wilderness, I mean, we've been in a season of wilderness, haven't we? The last 18 months have been difficult, devastating. But historically speaking, the wilderness has been an appropriate and opportune space for God to teach us something, for God to grow us in some way. The pandemic may have taken us by surprise, but it, it did not catch God off guard, Right? There may have been some seasons and some things that you went through in the last 18 months that were devastating. God was not surprised by these things. He was not caught off guard by the affairs of the world. And he has something to teach us, even right now, as we get back to the new normal. I use air quotes because what does normal look like after a season like this? Even as we find ourselves coming to some kind of semblance of of life similar to that, which what we lost a couple of years ago, the world, this nation, this city, even our lives are never really going to be the same. But if we are to endure all things through Christ who gives us strength, I think it's important that we find ourselves in a position by which we can receive the teaching, the guidance, and the affection of God. And for this we need to be able to hear him in the wilderness. But what does that mean exactly? (laughs) I don't come to this subject this morning as an expert in hearing God. 
or really as an expert in really anything. Um, <laughs> I may be an expert in like Star Trek or quotes from The Office. I come at this subject as an expert with wrestling with hearing God. My entire Christian life, I've, I've wrestled with how do I hear God's voice and what is he saying? The, the word Israel literally means one who wrestles. So we're going to wrestle with something today that is simultaneously incredibly simple and yet not so easy. So let's dive in. How do we hear God? Well, before we ask that question, I think we first need to ask, why do we want to hear from God? Because our ability to hear God, I think, has a lot to do with our desire to hear him and the motivation that we want to hear him. Why do we want to hear God's voice? There's a Christian author named Dallas Willard. He wrote a book called Hearing God. I'm going to quote him a lot during this message. And he said, Our failure to hear his voice when we want to is due to the fact that we do not in general want to hear it. That we want it only when we think we need it. Now, if there are people in here who are like, I really want to hear God, I believe you. But I think we're always wrestling between two parts of ourselves. Parts of us that really want to hear God and parts of us that are not so interested. Yeah? Do we desire to commune with God because we love him or because we want to get something from him? We want to, to, to figure something out that we need his blessing for, right? Is our motivation, what is our motivation? Because if the aim of hearing God is to use his name to give us leverage or to give us an advantage, then we've already missed the point, yeah? The desire to hear God's voice must be rooted in a desire to love God and to love others. In 1 John 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And this is really what hearing God is all about, right? It's about knowing God. It's about being in a reciprocal relationship with him. Willard says, We must make it therefore our primary goal not just to hear the voice of God, but to be mature people in a loving relationship with him. Only in this way will we hear him rightly. Top of your head, third of the Ten Commandments. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. Now, when we hear this word misused, sometimes we think, uh, oh, then I shouldn't say God followed by a cuss word, or I shouldn't stub my toe and say Jesus Christ or whatever. But really, this word misused, if we look at the, the root in the translation, it means to speak falsely, to give false testimony of, or to morally ruin. It's about using God's name to leverage your own agenda. I was talking to Pastor Steve about this, and he said, when this happens, we reject God for an idol God who starts to sound a lot like us, and that God is really permissive. We can get that God to say whatever we want him to say, yeah? But not you guys. You don't have that problem. As someone who works a lot with youth and young adults, I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories of young Christians walking up to other young Christians and saying something along the lines of, God told me that I'm supposed to marry you. I'm not saying he can't speak to us like that, but even if he did, like, play it cool, you know, like, icebreaker or something, like, don't just start, hey, I'm Mark, I'm your future husband. He's, really? I think one of us has a bad connection because God's not telling me the same thing. He's telling me to run. I, I think we do this sometimes. I think we like to hear God when we want to hear him so that we can gain leverage and an advantage, yeah? Justify to do what we want to do. 
I know this is true of me. My default mode is a lot of the time just to kind of do what I want to do. But then when I have a big decision to make or I have a big problem, then I'm on my knees in prayer. Yeah? It's like a, it's like a kid who doesn't listen to their parents when they need to listen to their parents, right? Like, Jill, do not hit your sister with that cup, right? And Jill doesn't listen. Jill doesn't hear. But then if Jill wants something, sees all of her friends running to the ice cream truck, now Jill's hanging on every word, right? Can I please have the money? What's she going to say? What's she going to say? Can I please get some ice cream? Woman, give me the money, right? Like there's this different dynamic there because she wants something from her parents. So as people who hear God, first and foremost, we need to be people who actually want to hear God. Not because we need him, not just because we think we want things from him, but because we want to be in relationship with him. There are a lot of voices that we're going to hear in our heads all the time. Many, many voices, right? There's going to be, um, you know, Pastor Mark Nicholas and I were talking about this, and he said that, that sometimes we become so influenced by what's on the outside that we forget how to be influenced by what's inside, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because as Christians, we believe that the Holy Spirit, we believe that he's in us, that he's present as the presence of God in us. But there's his voice, there's my voice, which my voice is pretty loud, tends to get what it wants most of the time. There's evil voices, there's good voices, there's my parents' voices, my boss, my friends, my mentors, all these different voices trying to define who I am. How do we, in this mess, in this cacophony of, of voices, hear the voice of God? In John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I don't know much about shepherding, really, um, the art or vocation thereof. But apparently in Scotland, as these shepherds will lead their flocks through the fields, sometimes they will intermingle and they'll both graze in the same field. But because the sheep have spent so much time walking alongside the shepherd, when it's time to go their own separate ways, the shepherd just needs to speak once and the sheep know who to follow. So this is the analogy that Jesus is giving us. Do we know his voice to where we can quickly pick it out of a crowd. Because our theology tells us that hearing the voice of God is possible. So are we hungry for it? And why? So today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture which does a good job showing us what it looks like to be hungry for God's voice. We're going to be reading out of Nehemiah chapter 8. That's in your Old Testament. If uh, you guys want to turn there, you can go ahead and do that while I give you some context about this book. So Ezra and Nehemiah was originally, uh, those two books that you see side by side in your Bible were originally one work, one book, if you will. And there's lots of different genres in the scriptures. There's prophetic, there's gospels, epistles, teachings. Um, This is a historical narrative. And what's going on here is that after the Babylonians, right, the big bad Babylonians, they, they came and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And now the Hebrew people are in exile. They're scattered about in Babylon. They're not allowed to come home. Now, I think we can find ourselves in this story in some ways. You know, in this series, we've been talking about how the wilderness, these seasons of trial are really good for leaning into the presence of God, leaning into the guidance of the spirit. And the Israelites were shut out of their land and their culture for generations. We were shut out of the world for about 18 months. But not just that. Along the way, we endured wildfires, social unrest, political polarization. It's been a really interesting time. And this passage speaks to what their first instinct was upon coming back to the new normal. What was their first instinct? Well, after the Jews went into exile, some Jews started gaining favor with some of the Babylonian kings. So someone named Zerubbabel, he leads a group back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. 
And then later someone named Ezra, who's a, a teacher of the law and a, and a, and a priest, leads some people back to, to rebuild uh, the, the teaching of the Torah and the community. And then we get to Nehemiah, who wants to come back and rebuild the walls of the, of the city, because a secure wall means a secure society. Now, Nehemiah, his name is Nehemiah, which is comfort Yahweh. And his heart broke for the state of Jerusalem, this unstable stat- status. So he, he curries favor with the king. The king funds this project to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And now the people are beginning to wonder, okay, we've got our land back, we've got our temple back, we've got our walls back, we have our people back, what do we do? And this is where we jump into Nehemiah chapter 8. Verse 1. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of all the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood a bunch of Jewish names I can't pronounce, and then on his left were a bunch of other Jewish names I can't pronounce. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them as he opened as he opened it. The people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen, as they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Skip down to verse 9. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. So their first instinct, when they gathered all together as a people, was to open the scriptures. It was the people's idea. They told Ezra, bring the book of the law forward. Now they're standing, the Bible says, in front of what is called the water gate. And the water gate was the only source of fresh water that would come to the city. This is imagery that the only life for these people in the wilderness was going to come from the Torah. That this was the life that they would receive. We see this imagery all throughout scripture. Now I'll be honest, I don't always have a posture towards the scriptures like this. Like I have a thirst in the desert. Like we read in Psalm 63 earlier, yeah? But what if it was our first instinct? What if our first instinct was to crave the word of God? You know, on a hot day, I'll often crave things, or people will often crave things like soda or alcohol or juice or whatever. But we know what actually helps our bodies is water. (laughs) In the same way, when I find myself in the wilderness, in trial, in struggle, I will be drawn to things that only momentarily satisfy that are distracting for a moment, but ultimately don't really hydrate me? Are we hungry and thirsty for the word of God like this? You know, it's interesting, verses 8 through 12, this is the first example in the scriptures of expository preaching. 
A lot of people in this time were probably illiterate in this group of people. So the Levites are helping to break it down. This is really the first Bible study in the Bible. And this is important. Because anyone who's just good at memorizing stuff can memorize scripture and then throw it in somebody's face just to flex their religious muscles, right? We've experienced this before, yeah? But maintaining a humble curiosity, desiring to prayerfully consider the meaning behind the scriptures, rooted in a desire to love God and to love others well, that is fertile ground for the work of the Spirit in our lives. And we'll get to that in a bit. But wisdom and love must be paired with knowledge, or knowledge is dangerous, yeah? So people are crying, they're weeping, they're undone when they hear the Torah because they've realized how far they've come from the life that God had had designed for them. And then more and more these words are shared, the more and more they realize how far they've fallen from God's guidance. They're undone. And then everyone says, guys, don't weep. It's not the season for this. The scriptures are being read aloud as an outpouring of God's desire to commune with us. He had us write all of this down so that we'd never forget the story and never forget that he has a plan to redeem and save the world. This is good. And then we see this famous passage that a lot of us, if we grew up in church or went to a Christian bookstore ever, saw this on a plaque. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now what's interesting is that most scholars agree that our English translation of this phrase is a little clumsy. And really, the more accurate way to say this would be that God's joy over us is where we find refuge. So it's not my ability to feel joy that gives me strength and makes me strong. It's the fact that God's joy over me means that I'm valuable to him. And in that place, I can find refuge. In that place, I am safe. So even if God's word strikes a chord of repentance— the way that it does here, they feel undone by this. That's actually good news. How many of you know that repentance can be a joyful discipline? That knowing that this thing that I've turned to has caused pain and suffering in my life and caused me to harm others, that I have an opportunity to find life in Jesus apart from those things, that's good. That's a good thing. So the word of the Lord causes them to become undone with grief and then overjoyed in celebration. Take in this picture. Huge crowds of people, basically an entire nation, on their faces in worship of their God, being moved deeply in their emotions and their souls by the scriptures. Are we hungry like that for the word of God in our lives? Willard says, Few people arise in the morning as hungry for God as they are for cornflakes, toast, and eggs. I can relate. (laughs) Brunch is like the best meal ever, right? La Provence, anyone? No? Okay. You know, something that I've noticed about human behavior is that people, if they want something bad enough, they will prioritize it. Right? If they want something, they will find a way to make that the priority in their lives. Where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah? Are we hungry for the story of God and the revelation of Jesus? Do we hide his words in our hearts? Do we acknowledge the merciful gift of the scriptures? You know Hebrew children had to memorize the Pentateuch by the time they turned 12? The Pentateuch. We're not talking James and Jude, these little two-chapter books. We're talking Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Wow, that's some thick reading. And they memorized it by the time they turned 12. That's what part of the bar mitzvah was meant to celebrate. They did this. 
We can read in the scriptures about God's character. We can read about Jesus. We can read about the work of the Holy Spirit. We have more scripture now than the ancient Hebrews did. We have for us historical documentation of the words of the Messiah. Can you think about that for a second? God in the flesh said words that people heard and then wrote down and we can read those words. Is that not mind-blowing to you? We have Jesus' words written down. You know, I never liked memorizing scripture growing up, but this year I felt compelled to do so because it's been a tough couple of years, yeah. I felt compelled to memorize. So I memorized a couple of parables of Jesus. I even memorized the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, three chapters. A little humble brag there, yeah. No, no, okay, no, I tell, you, I tell you that because I want you to know that it really changed things for me. It changed the way that I experience my world day to day because I'm constantly reviewing the words of Jesus in my mind. Paul talks about this, the renewing of our minds, right? We have so many voices. So learning scripture is about learning how to discern which one is God's. Because this vigorous Bible reading, it can help us discern the, the character of God that is speaking in different contexts in our lives, yeah? Like a sheep to a shepherd, we know what his voice sounds like. So reading the scripture assists us in remembering the character of God and therefore his voice. And as Christians who believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we believe that he is somehow with us. We believe that, but it doesn't feel like that all the time, if we're honest, yeah? If we're honest, in some ways, God isn't with us, it feels like. Like, he doesn't manifest his glory in a pillar of fire on the stage on Sunday mornings, right? I mean, that'd be cool, <laughs> but he doesn't. It's not like Jesus has office hours on Monday and Wednesday that we can just check in and ask him questions, yeah? Sometimes it's hard to hear what he's saying when we can't physically hear his voice. But the scriptures give us a way to remember. You know, when I got my first apartment, there were moments where I could hear my mom's voice in my head, even though she wasn't there, yeah? Like when I'm cleaning my bathroom, for example. <laughs> As I'm cleaning my bathroom, I'm recalling these vivid memories of my mom instructing me how to clean my bathroom. She wasn't looking over my shoulder, scrutinizing everything that I did, but out of our deeply rooted relationship, I could recall my mother's instruction and apply it to my, my current situation. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I wish my roommates could have heard my mom's voice too. <laughs> Six men in one bathroom is not something I'd wish upon any of you, but it happens. Now, now, God is a father to us individually, but he's also a father to us as a civilization, as humanity. And we're in this place now where Jesus is not walking with us, but we can still recall his voice because he's told so many people for thousands of years who he is. And we can remember. We can hear what God is saying, even if we can't audibly hear his voice, because we know who he is. The word remember is used 231 times in the Bible. Because we're prone to forget. We're prone to wander. We're prone to forget who God is and who he's made us to be. So we constantly need to be reminded of this. And God is in the business of transforming us into the kind of people who can steward his kingdom. And that means that sometimes when we ask him a question, we don't get a lightning bolt of an answer, right? Sometimes God's response is, go ahead, kid. I've actually prepared you for this. Go and be my ambassador. Represent me. Sometimes that's how he coaches us, yeah? 
Now in Nehemiah, what we see later is perhaps a tendency to not remember. They've, they've built the temple, they've built the city, they've built the walls, and they're trying to reclaim their culture, but the presence of God never quite comes back to the temple the way that it used to be. And they begin to drift, right? They started out strong, but then they started to behave immorally again and working on the Sabbath. And the book basically ends with Nehemiah saying, well, I tried. God remember us. And chronologically, Nehemiah takes place right before what is known as the 400 years of silence. This is the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God doesn't manifest his presence. He doesn't speak through the prophets. It's communications blackout. But instead of the Israelites staying true to who they know God to be for what he said before and the revelation of his word, they drift because they feel like he's not speaking to them even though he had for thousands of years. And after this 400 years of silence, enter Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. And Jesus, he went around teaching about the kingdom of heaven and he taught about the transformation of the heart because the desires of a person's heart taint everything. Why a person wants to hear from God will color how a person hears from God. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they had suspect reasons for knowing the scriptures so well, usually to uphold their own religious status while suppressing the spiritual lives of others. And Jesus addresses this. In John chapter 5, he says, You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They vigorously studied the word of God, but they didn't recognize him when he walked into the room. Because their, their motivations were not born of love. They were born of power and influence, yeah? Our hunger for the scriptures has to be rooted in a desire to being loving communion with God. It is so important. Now, besides reading the scriptures and remembering what he said in the past, there's this other mysterious way, this mysterious side that God speaks to his people. How many of you know that life without mystery is boring? It's boring. When I was younger, I had this incessant need to have an answer for every single one of my questions. I think it's good to seek answers. I think it's more important to seek better questions. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that I don't have to know everything. I've gotten more and more comfortable with the phrase, I don't know or I don't know yet, or I'm not sure. We believe that God somehow, through the presence of his spirit, speaks to us, guides us, and invites us. And isn't that how relationships are supposed to work, <laughs> right? Healthy relationships are not a one-sided communication. Healthy relationships are two people in a reciprocal exchange, right? There's a comedian who said, when we talk to God, we're praying, but when God talks to us, we're schizophrenic. <laughs> I don't mean to make light of mental illness, but isn't it weird that hearing from God seems like a crazy notion? That we can talk to God, but if God talks to us, oof, that's cuckoo. Listen, I've seen God speak to people in really weird ways. I know a pastor who, before he came to Jesus, the first time he saw Jesus was in a vision during an acid trip. Now, I'm not recommending that that be the pathway that you finally hear the voice of God. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that God can meet us in very strange places, often where we're at, yeah? The reason that I'm at this church today is because a famous worship leader named Stephanie Gretzinger called me out of the crowd of 1,500 people at Arlene Snitzer Hall in downtown Portland and prophesied over my life. That happened. Stephanie, if you're out there, thank you. 
She's not listening to this, but <laughs> on a whim. There was a moment in my early adult life where I was sitting in my cubicle at work and I was writing a letter to God and I began to weep. Like alligator tears, like ugly <laughs> weep because I felt God's hand of compassion on me. I felt his love from me. I can't explain that. I don't know how to rationalize that, but I know it happened. There have been moments in prayer where I, can felt, I felt what I can only describe as a weight on me, that I need to say something. I need to encourage this person because if I don't, the weight's gonna crush me. I've been in prayer and I've asked God, would you guide my imagination? Would you show me pictures and images and speak words to me? And I believe that he has. But see, we living in the 21st century in this Western mindset, we have really big difficulties with this, don't we? We don't like that the, the work of God is sometimes this trans-rational work of the Spirit. We don't like that. If I can't wrap my brilliant brain around it, then it can't be a thing. Yeah? But the ancient Near East people, for most of history, did not have this problem. In their minds, the, re, the, the spiritual and physical realities were transposed over each other. Which makes sense, because the whole story of the Bible is about heaven and earth being brought together again. So why wouldn't these realities overlap? The scriptures give us all sorts of fascinating examples of God speaking to human beings in very strange ways. Moses in the burning bush. A voice calling out to Samuel in the middle of the night. Visions being given to prophets and then later people like Peter and Ananias and Paul. Church history records Christians for centuries, centuries, recording the accounts of visions that they've had with God. If you look at any of the accounts of the early Christian martyrs, half of them are taken up with the things that God said to them before they died. This is not weird. But sometimes we're too smart to receive simple wisdom that there's a loving God who wants to talk to you. Willard says, Christian spirituality as practiced through the ages takes the form of a companionship with Jesus. Spiritual people are not those who engage in certain spiritual practices. They are those who draw their life from a conversational relationship with God. They do not live their lives merely in terms of human order in the visible world. They have a life beyond well, Lane, that sounds very messy. Well, yeah, it can be, for sure. We have lots of different voices that are competing for our attention, which is why we have to learn how to discern which one is God's. Part of how we do that is we discern the scriptures. Remember, 12 years old, Pentateuch, memorized. And you have to do this in a desire to love God and to love others. That's why we learn the scriptures. We have to check our motivations. The Pharisees knew scriptures better than anybody else. But they did it to, to, to further their own uh, means, their own agendas. God told me he wants you to marry me. Mm, God wants you to practice social distancing, okay? <laughs> and we have to remember God's heart for us. The joy that the Lord has over us is our refuge. So even if the voice of God is one of repentance, one of correction, it's always done out of a desire for us to be reconciled to him, like a perfect and loving father. You know, God's relationship to human beings is described as many, many different things. He's a Lord, he's a king, he's a, he's a God, he's, but he's never a tyrant. He's a father, he's described as a husband, a mother hen, a brother, a friend. The bottom line is that God takes joy in you. And even when he gets, do you ever get frustrated with people that you love deeply? Of course, even if God gets frustrated with us, he's never losing his patience. It's always out of a desire for us to be brought into loving relationship with him. He desires relationship with you. Okay, so we were shut in for 18 months. 
The Israelites were shut out of the land for generations. They returned to a new normal that looked very different. We're doing the same. I love Portland. I love Portland with all my heart. When people talk bad about Portland, I get angry. It's my city. But my city looks very different now than it used to. That's why it needs us. Is our first instinct upon coming back to the new normal to say, what does it say in God's word? Should this be our first instinct to know what God would say in this moment? So we have to ask ourselves, is our desire to hear God born out of a desire to love well? Do we hide the scriptures in our hearts? Do they become precious to us so that we can know what his voice sounds like? And then we have to invite the at times transrational Holy Spirit to speak to us in relationship. Because scripture and law without abiding is just religion. And this gives us an opportunity to have a reciprocal, loving relationship with God that he desperately wants to have with you. Know that. He wants to speak to you and for you to speak to him. He's not interested in you joining his religion. Jesus wants you to become part of his family. Can we stand together? If you feel comfortable to hold your hands out in a posture of receiving as I say a blessing. May you be men and women who are filled with a desire to know God's voice. Would you thirst for his word like water in the desert? And as you discern his will, may you help bring heaven to earth. Go in peace. Love you. Amen.